While we're in this quieted state, let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, help us to remain in this state of spiritual focus. Help us to reflect on ourselves, to be honest with ourselves, to reflect on our day and our week, to reflect on the things that hinder us from living in the present with you. Help us to see those things for what they are. Help us to have the courage to confess and admit. Help us to not be afraid of these things we're learning that can and have historically proven to be useful to people seeking your presence, to enter into your presence each moment of our lives, that we might live in communion with you, to feel your presence. Not to earn brownie points, Father, but to participate in your life and to share in your purposes here on the earth. Help us this morning as we discuss the spiritual walk, the spiritual life, and how that can go haywire in people's lives and in our own lives and help us to see that you have always provided a way out and that these principles that Celebrate Recovery has been using for the last two or three decades are simply eternal principles that you've revealed over and over to your people and help us to make choices that lead us into your presence and away from the, the distraction that is this life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how is everybody? Did, uh, did you have any feedback from last week with Mac and Mary? That seems like a year ago, doesn't it? We've had two, two snowstorms, three snowstorms. and It's a powerful, powerful story and a story that's near and dear to my heart. Vicki gave me a picture of I'm guessing this is 1978 or 79, and this is the guy I went to White's Ferry Road with, and this is the preacher that baptized me, and I don't know where she found it. She found it in her Bible somewhere, but did you see this, hon? Isn't that funny? And the, the amazing thing, as I tried to say at the end and ran over time, I'll try not to run over time today. Somebody remind me at, at 9.15 I'm supposed to shut up. Um, is how God is, I mean, we say God is in control, but you kind of have an aha moment when you realize that he's, he's in control of your life. You know, he is helping you tell your story. He is, he is connecting the dots in your story. And, you know, I, I wound up in White's Ferry Road with uh, Mary's little sister, and who would know that 35 years later, here we are, you know, and, and uh, as I said, Mac Owen, that big old hair, you know, and uh, his brother David, his brother David married Janice, Mary's sister, so two brothers married two sisters, um, and it, it was just, it was an amazing of course, I got there. I was Southern California, broken family, broken home, all that, and so it was a whole nother world for me. But Julie, yeah. No, go ahead. 
I really like how they read their testimony mm-hmm. and stayed on point and uh, hit the main points. I think that was that was very helpful for me. Yeah, and I uploaded. He said he liked the way they read their. Um, their testimony and I uploaded I had the transcript if you noticed I was following it and I uploaded it to the Google Drive this morning so if you want to take a look at that you can and I also uploaded their their PowerPoint and I've uploaded all the PowerPoints did you have something well, to say I was just going to say as, a, as an aside and then I'll look back at thing, but um, that's how all testimony did on that's what yeah. I was going to say is that everybody reads them yeah, so Terry said that's part of the DNA of Celebrate Recovery. When we have a, a meeting every week, if you, if you participate in the meeting, you come one week and it'll be a teaching from the principles of CR, and then you come the next week and there will be a personal testimony. And that testimony will follow the format that you saw, Mac and Mary. And it, you, to do your testimony, you have to write it out, you have to submit it to the ministry leader, and he or she goes over it with you, and there are certain principles that they want you to follow. Because you don't want to get, you know, a drunk who's eight days sober to get up and just babble on about how terrible alcoholism is, or a sex addict get up and talk <laughs> about all the porn shops that he's visited. You know, there's got to be, because what we're trying to show is, yes, this is what sin does to a human life, and this is what God does with that human life when that human life repents in submission and submits. And then God changes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you want to, you want to get that progression. And then, of course, celebrate recovery. You know, it's, it's just one, right? It's just one way. We're not saying it's the only way. This is what God does with people's lives. Now, what Celebrate Recovery has done is tried to systematize it, and we're going to talk a lot more about that in just a few minutes. But, and they've glommed on to the AA model, but they've adapted it to make it Christ-centered and, and Bible-based. So, all right, other questions or comments? So, Baruch and I... You know, we've been working on this since what we talked about it in May last year, and then we worked on it over the summer. And November, I think we're pretty much done with the the hardcore teaching. We want this month to be more testimony. So I want you to mark your calendar. Um, we did not go up to celebrate recovery last Monday night because of the storm. So we're going tomorrow night. If anybody would want to join us. And we're, we go every Monday night. So, but make a note that next Sunday, and Baruch, I forgot to mention this, next Sunday we have um, Gigi Collins is going to come in and she's going to give her testimony. And hers is a little different. She does talk about, um, you know, some of the promiscuity and the, and the problems she had, but her main issue for the last 20 years have, has been grief. She lost a husband, she lost a daughter, and she feels like, um, how am I going to say this? She's not addicted to grief in that sense. I mean, we're not, she's not breaking an addiction. She is struggling with grief, and it is interfering with her ability to feel confident in her discipleship. She, she has so much grief and that can turn in for, and you'll hear her, I'm, but 
it's like she's tempted to blame God, why me type of attitude. So, so the Celebrate Recovery 12 steps, eight principles, that's a perfect thing. You know, in A, we say you need to work the 12 steps on that. In, in Celebrate Recovery, we say you need, to, you need to go through a step study on that issue. And so that's what she's done. Um, and so it can be overeating, it can be grief, it can be relationships, it can be, you know, it's so many different things. But you take these principles and then you focus on one area of your life, anger, you know, workaholism, gambling, whatever it is that's hindering you from, from being the disciple you want to be. So be here next week for that. And so that bumps you a week. So you did tell me. I did. Oh, good. I forgot. I forgot that I didn't forget. <laughs> yeah, I tell my wife, wait until I really get old. You you think I've been this way for 20 years. Well, Bob, too, if, I mean, if there are people here that would like to explore things that they want to work through, we can do both half of a class or a class. Absolutely. Yeah, first and foremost, it's for it's for us, yeah. absolutely. Because what happens, and what I'm trying to say is, if if you take this approach to your own walk with Christ, then it's not so jarring when you you know you get somebody in here who's addicted to alcohol. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Alcohol abuse is simply a cyst, uh, a symptom of not living in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You drift away from the Holy Spirit and then that alcohol becomes a crutch. But so does food and so does gossip and so does you know self-aggrandizement and so does overachievement and so, so many other things. When we get down as Julie, and what I wanted to say to Julie is thank you for doing this for us every week. Because what she's trying to get us to do is to center, to focus, and to be in the presence of God and allow God to say, you know what, child? You're mine. Huge bank account or teetering on bankruptcy really doesn't matter in this moment because you're my child. And that's a great place to be, isn't it? You know, and in my experience, um, if you live in that place consistently and, and you go, you know, you get some time behind you living in that place through prayer and reflection and accountability and transparency with yourself and with others, you know, a month or two or three go by and you look back at the thought of taking a drink to medicate it's, it's, it's repulsive. Instead, you've developed a new habit of, you know, I need time with God. I need God's spirit to overwhelm me and take away this anxiety or whatever it is you're feeling. And so you're, you're um, and that's a great segue. I love the word segue. Brew, go ahead. And person finds out that whatever that is that they're struggling with is not nearly as big as they thought. But when we keep it to ourselves, it's, it's 
monstrous. It's monstrous. Yeah, in AA, they tell us, and I've used this expression before, you're only as sick as your secrets. You know, if there's something that you're afraid, if somebody finds out they're going to think less of you, you know, you need to tell someone about that. Like Rick Warren said at the beginning of class, somebody comes and says, Pastor, I need to talk to you. He takes him into the study or takes him to a quiet place. He sits down and the person says, I have never told anyone this. Rick Warren says his heart jumps a beat because he knows something fantastic is about to happen in that person's life. So the, the objective in the next uh, hour and a half <laughs> Baruch's going to throw a rock at me at, at 10.15, right Baruch? Because you know, Grace Bible comes in here and we sort of have an agreement that we'll be out of here in time for them to start their class. So remind me of that at 10.15, okay? The purpose this morning is I, I want to I want you to get a big picture. And at the end, I've got a bibliography, but I want to start with this because I was thinking about this book as Julie was leading us in meditation. This is a relatively new book, but it's Addicted to the Monkey Mind. And I'll give you the, it's on the bibliography that I just uploaded to the Google Drive this morning. But th that's what he talks about. And this is, he's not coming from a spiritual perspective at all. He's coming from a completely secular perspective. But he's saying the same thing we're saying. You know, we, we have this monkey mind. What is the monkey mind? Well, get on I-25 at 515 at Cimarron and come north, and you'll be introduced to the monkey mind. And fingers go up in the air, and, there's, there's, and, and many of us live in the monkey mind, right? And that monkey mind, Eric, doesn't make wise choices. <laughs> I forgot to take my monkey. <laughs> and that's where Julie's trying to help us. You know, next week you can say, hey, monkey mind at the door, please. Monkey mind at the door. Because the monkey mind, I think, is what Paul is referring to. And, of course, Paul takes it deeper. But when he talks about the, the fleshly mind, the mind of sarks is the Greek word. It's the monkey mind. And it, and it, ain't, ha it ain't in in contact with God's spirit. It's being overwhelmed with the input of survival. You know, the fight or flight response that's within us. The guy cuts you off on, on, at, at, at Fillmore, you know, he suddenly realizes that he's got to get off on Fillmore and he comes across you and words come out of my mouth before I even realize that I'm speaking. I don't know about you, but the monkey mind is like right on the, you know, I just have to, something has to touch it and the monkey mind takes over. Pronouncing a blessing. <laughs> Had somebody say, look, that guy's showing me his IQ. <laughs> But in but anyway, if we if we take a spiritual approach to this, this can control our lives and it can control our religion. It can control our churches. You ever been to a business meeting? 
You ever seen deacons get in a fist fight at a deacons meeting? It's because they're, they're addicted to the monkey mind. This is my Uncle John, by the way. He's a deacon in a church down in, uh, out in uh, Chandler. Chandler, Arizona. Yeah. Like, I always want to say Phoenix, but it's really Tempe, and now it's not Tempe anymore. It's Gilbert. So you got to quit moving on me, Uncle John. This is my mom's sister. Uh, this is your mom's brother. My mom's brother. I haven't had the operation yet. <laughs> my mom is his sister. Um, his, his daughter married an a academy grad, and then his granddaughter uh, decided to go to West Point. So he was up for the game yesterday, and Army lost. I'm sorry, Uncle John. Oh, yeah, they almost pulled it off. But all of us are happy, right, Air Force guys? Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, let me take you through this. I'll try not to do this. Uh, the, the key here, and if you were in my class uh, that I taught last time several months ago, you know, we... I, I chide us in the churches of Christ because we, we have a history and we inherited uh, an attitude. We inherited a mindset. We inherited a worldview, and, which is fine. I mean, you can't help that from happening. But I think what we need to rethink is that we inherited a heritage that was profoundly influenced by what was happening in the American, the American experiment and especially in the American frontier because we have a real um, resistance to the doctrine of original sin. In fact, I've heard preachers absolutely reject it. It's a false teaching. It's Catholic. Um, well, I, I would challenge us to be careful with what we understand about the doctrine. First of all, I don't know that we fully understand what the Roman Catholic Church teaches about the doctrine because there's a, a whole lot of truth in there and there's a whole lot of scripture in what they teach. I mean, the, these guys are not... There's some excellent theologians that are Roman Catholic, just like there's some excellent theologians that are Baptist and Church of Christ. And I mean, a good theologian is a good theologian, and they just happen to have to associate with some name denomination. But once you reach that level, they're really digging into what Scripture is revealing. And here's where I come down. What happened when human to humanity when sin entered God's creation? Well, human nature was changed at least, at least in Adam and Eve. Something changed emotionally, spiritually. I mean, their, their basic core personalities changed. The Bible reveals that before they sinned against God, there was no shame. They had no clothing over their bodies. They were not ashamed of their nakedness. They, they, they were not afraid of God. There was no fear or shame or you know, sense of, of I've done something wrong or I, there is something wrong with me, which is what shame is. You understand the difference, right? 
Guilt is, I did something wrong. And that's healthy, right? Guilt is healthy. Shame, as I use the term, is not healthy, is never healthy. Now, I understand there's a way you can define shame, but in the way I define shame, shame is never healthy. Why? Because shame says, I am bad. There is something innately wrong with me. I have no value. And it's usually connected with, because of what I did, I now have no value. And that's ungodly. Your behavior does not define you. Your creator defines you. But they, they felt this for the first time. And so there was a fear of God. And don't tell me fear of God is a good thing. It can be a good thing, but it's not always a good thing because it's, it can be a very bad thing. So you've got Adam and Eve, you know, naked as jaybirds, putting fig leaves on their private parts, which is not a comfortable proposition, and hiding behind a tree from the creator of the universe. I think it's supposed to be comical. I really do. I think the Hebrews got a kick out of the story. But that's what happened to human nature. Go ahead. Why did they cover their life-giving parts, or that we call the private? Right. Where did that shame come from? And and it's why sex, human sexuality is covered in so much shame. So it began early in our existence. So human nature changed. Now, did they pass that on? To their descendants, that's where the doctrine of original sin gets in, comes in. That's where you're going to have to read, you know, St. Paul. You're going to have to read St. Augustine. You're going to have to really think this through. Did they pass on a sinful nature? Now, the NIV up until 2011 said yes, right, Steve? But what did we see in 2011? They reversed course. Now, in, in your, in your um, NIV of 2011 forward, it will no longer use the term sinful nature because the committee believed that they were misleading people. And in the comments, they'll tell you what, what we understood. We did that in 1978. We redid it in 2008. But what we found was that people were interpreting that to mean, well, I'm, I just have a sinful nature. I can't control myself. And they didn't want to continue that projection because they don't believe that. That's not what they're saying. But there is something about us that we from birth have a propensity to disobey God. But to me, the stronger thing that happened is that physical death and human suffering entered the creation. And St. Augustine says, and Martin Luther gets up the, you know, what this does is from the day you're born, you know you're going to die. You know from, well, not from the day you're born, but from the day you realize that you are a conscious being, you have a sense of your own mortality. And what that does is it creates fear. And the Hebrew writer says in chapter 2 that we live enslaved to this fear. And what this fear does, according to St. Augustine, is instead of us 
being able to commune with God, it turns us in on ourselves. And so our primary instinct, if you will, is not seeking God. It's self-preservation, paying the bills. I mean, if you, if you sit down as we try to do in any spiritual recovery program and you keep a journal or you reflect on your time, where are you devoting your energy and your time? You'll realize that much of your energy and time is going into preserving yourself, making a living, paying the bills which is fine, we have to do that, but the point is it can and often does interfere with our ability to be spiritually connected to God. Questions or comments? Nobody? G.K. Chesterton says the doctrine of original sin is the only empirically proven doctrine. Absolutely. Yeah, he says, you know, I don't know why these young theologians are, are bashing the, the doctrine of original sin. It's the only doctrine, Christian doctrine, that can be empirically verified. <laughs> well, I certainly don't bash it. Um, you know, there was a time when I did because I didn't know any better. But the, the scripture is revealing to us that we are at least in an environment that is not conducive to a spiritual connection with God. And so what happens in that environment, like happened in my life and possibly in your life, you know, you, you live on the monkey brain. Well, dude, that monkey brain's going 3,000 miles an hour about 9.30 at night, you know, and, and maybe even drug-induced. I mean, there were times in my life I was popping, you know, speed. And then what has, what has to happen about 10, 10.30? I have to sleep. Well, the monkey mind doesn't like to sleep. And so I have to put the monkey mind to sleep. Well, you know, 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 beers will put the monkey mind to sleep. You do that for a few years and you look up and you're an alcoholic. And now you're in a vicious cycle. And that's what Celebrate Recovery... Uh, you know, that's where it began. So let me just give you the, the three-second or the three-minute overview. You remember the one? I can't do any. What were you saying? I didn't say a word. Oh, who said it? <laughs> I just, Uncle John, are you, are you ridding me? I'm, I'm just okay. excited that you went from an hour and a half to three minutes. <laughs> okay. Very well done. Well, I've only got nine left, Eric, so. So John Baker, he, he found himself in that position. He's a raging alcoholic, so he goes to AA and he gets his life together. And his wife, Cheryl, is the classic codependent. And so he goes through AA, Cheryl goes to Al-Anon, and they begin to go to church at the Saddleback Church. And their pastor is Rick Warren. And, and John Baker begins to have not only a recovery moment, but he has a spiritual awakening. He gives himself to Jesus Christ and he writes Pastor Warren a letter and says, hey, wait a minute. If anybody should be teaching people how to overcome addictions, it ought to be God's people from God's word. 
I mean, this thing works, but but it ha you know your higher higher power can be anything you want it to be. Jesus Christ needs to be the higher power. So that's what Rick Warren did, and he 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 took John Baker's letter, thirteen pages, single spaced. He looked at the 12 steps of AA and he said, how does this fit into the Bible? And what he found was it dovetails with the Beatitudes, the principles of the Beatitudes as Matthew has the Beatitudes. So that's what that chart is. I'm not going to go through it. I'm going to go through it very quickly, but I wanted you to have this in your hand. So in the left-hand column is the, the traditional language of the AA 12 steps. The second column from the left is the principles that Rick Warren came up with. The third column is the beatitude that you know they see corresponding. And then the final column on your right is any additional biblical teaching that, that talks about these principles. So any comments or questions about that? Yeah, we have extras, and they're on the Google Drive if you want them. Anybody need one? Okay, Terry, can we get one back here? Anybody else? So, yes, okay. So let me just run through them real quick on the PowerPoint. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, I promise, Eric. I'm not. <laughs> okay, yeah, you like that, huh? <laughs> So here's, here's the eight recovery principles that, that Rick Warren found in the Beatitudes and then how they applied or how he filtered the 12 steps through them. So the first principle is realize I'm not God. See, and we, if, 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 if we're in an American religion that says you can overcome sin and then someone who's addicted to heroin comes to you and says I can't help it there's a disconnect isn't there and we met with a guy yesterday morning you know and we and he had a relapse this week and his drug of choice is alcohol and we asked him you know what happened and he says I honestly don't know I, I went for a walk I was walking down the path and my next conscious Memory is I'm at the liquor store buying a fifth. And if you're not, if you've never experienced that, you're going to say, well, all you got to do is say no, you know, like Nancy Reagan. The, the, the reality is, and this is, I'm just telling you this from anecdotal testimony, the over and over and over, alcoholics, heroin addicts, drug addicts, sex addicts, you know, these addicts, they'll tell you that's, that's where they are. It is something, something that clicks in them. We call it a trigger. Maybe some have it with food. You know, you just, you're up there, you're depressed, whatever, and you just can't help but eat that entire pecan pie, you know? But it is a reality, and we can't poo-poo it. Now, we can't condone it. We didn't condone it with him yesterday, but we have to help them with sensitivity. And any recovery program worth its salt, any spiritual pro, uh, recovery program will tell you that 
a, to work, it has to be spiritual, because I do not think, my Uncle John and I were talking about this this morning, I don't think once you're at that point with the monkey bind that you in your own human power can break that addiction without the intervention of God's grace through the Holy Spirit. So, I don't know if there's agreement or disagreement with that statement, but I'm going on record as saying the entire premise of this program is once you've reached that point in your addiction to whatever it is, you cannot, under human power, break that addiction on your own. You must have God's help through the power of the Holy Spirit, what a Catholic would call, you must have God's grace. And God's grace in that sense is not some power that gets you into heaven in the by and by. God's grace is something that meets you right here, right now, this moment, and empowers you to resist the monkey mind. So it's a spiritual program of action. And so what you'll see in all of this is, here's what you do. You can't just pray, God, heal me. I mean, I think there are, there are things, there are testimonies of, you know, a heroin addict that's miraculously uh, given the, the grace to overcome the addiction. But that's not the norm. Normally, it takes time. Not all of us are blinded on the road to Damascus. Exactly. And that's why at the end of every meeting you say, keep coming back. Keep working the program. It works if you work it. So it is a spiritual program of action. And so each of these steps, I'm sorry, went the wrong way. I realize that I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless because I'm in this monkey mind. I've given myself over to it, and Jesus says in, in John chapter 8, when we participate in sin, we become what? Say it. I saw your mouth move. Slaves to sin. And if you're enslaved, you can't become free on your own. You have to have the intervention of somebody else. Someone else has to set you free. Right? That's exactly what happens. So you admit that you're powerless and that you are ready to make those. And then this is the beatitude. Blessed are those. Ooh, no, it's not. It's 1014. So anyway, go, go through this. Go through this. I, I know you know this. And I've, I've hammered on this all, all quarter, okay? <coughs> So notice, I'll just, I'll give you another one. Okay, so here's principle six. Again, spiritual program of action. You have to evaluate when you get to step six. And this is actually where Rick Warren combines several of the steps into this principle. You make amends. Didn't Jesus tell us that? What did he say to us, Nicole? If you get to the altar and you're going to worship God, but you realize that a sister has something against you, what do you do? You go. You make it right. 
you take action. And when you take the action, then the spiritual blessing occurs. So it's not a system of legalism. If I do this, I do that. But, that, but there is some relationship between the actions and the decisions and the choices you make and the spiritual result that you experience in every one of these. Questions or comments about that? Okay, we really have until 11, 10, 20. Is that right? We should be out by 10, 20. So give me a couple of minutes. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing, and I'm gonna quit on this. I will quit in two minutes. Do these principles work? Yes, 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 yes. A hundred thousand times yes. You go to any judge in this county and you ask them, what's the best chance for an alcoholic to become a non-alcoholic? Alcoholics Anonymous. Free. You know, 28-day program, you, you can drop $30,000, dollars $50,000. If it's secular, I guarantee you its success rate is a fraction that AA. Why? Because these principles work. Spiritual program of action. And it works. I want to show you this book. I've been, I've been talking to you about the monkey mind. Here's another one that is a Christian viewpoint, switch on your, your brain. She is a neuroscientist. This is a 2009 book, so it's about 10 and a half years old. But she's telling us, neurologically, they can show if you will, she, at the first half of the book, she talks about the science. In the second half of the book, she has a 21-day program to reprogram your mind. And she says, if you will do this for 21 days, you can actually reprogram your thinking. The, the mind, which is in her, I, is the spiritual part of us, can actually affect the organ, the physical brain. There's, there's electrical currents that run through it. And if you'll teach it to not go down that one, and to go down this one instead. And so you'll see some guys that, uh, you know, you have rubber bands on your, because when the monkey mind shows up, you snap. When the monkey mind shows up, you snap. And you say to yourself, in, and I'm looking at Julie, because this is what meditation helps us do. You give it negative feedback when the monkey mind tries to take over, and then you take it to a new place and you say, here's what I'm gonna do instead. I'm not gonna take that drink. I know you think you want it, monkey mind, because you need to go to sleep. I'm gonna say this prayer. And mine is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. I can do it in steps. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So that's that one. And then I've told you about Kevin McCauley. He is a naval surgeon, neurosurgeon, who got uh, canned in Leavenworth for stealing opioids out of, the, out of the... But he's done a DVD, and he talks about the same thing. How addiction actually rewires your mind and how you can unwire it and reprogram it. And then, of course, this guy, Richard Rohr, you mentioned him last yeah. night. And then I'm done.
he's written a book, The Spirituality of the Twelve Steps, and he, he's a Franciscan monk that has a retreat center down in Albuquerque. He goes so far as to say that the Twelve Steps are the greatest contribution to North American spirituality of the 20th century. Spiritual program of action that recovers. All right, you're dismissed. Bye. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.